podcast contains spoilers, so you have been warned. Mwah. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Don't Make Me Watch. This week you can expect awkward performances of Hamilton, undercover cop podcasts, Mexican bow-staff fascists, and Margot Robbie in a bath. Who okay. says we don't give you range on this podcast? Oh, range. Range for days. So much range. Range for the gods. Range for the gods. Right, Sam, what have you been up to this week? I went to an opera this week. Oh, she's fancy. Ooh. I went to see The Mask of Orpheus at the Coliseum. I don't know what that is. It's an opera by Harrison Birtwistle. I have heard that name. Don't know who they It's a very are. modern opera and it was awful. Oh, okay. They performed it very well. The performances were really good. The orchestra played it very well. It's very difficult, very dense music, but... The issue is the opera itself and the plotting of the opera because it is a hot mess express on stage, basically. Nice, oh, okay. So it's told non-linearly, but on top of that, three tellings of the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice at the same time non-linearly. Oh, okay. I was going to be like, whoa, three tellings at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah, but the issue, the issue is, is that you don't have one going linearly as the anchor. Oh, I see. And the text is really abstract that if you don't have a synopsis in front of you, which I didn't, I had no idea what was going on in Act 1. Act 2 is a bit clearer because it's him going into the underworld. Well, rather, Orpheus 1 going into the underworld, while Orpheus 2 gets mutilated by some fembot nurses and Ooh. glittery Eurydice. And Orpheus 3 does some aerial work. Okay. Yeah, it's... it's uh, There is a good opera in this, but the issue is is that the music's really dense and there's nothing to latch onto musically. And the, the plotting just is nonsensical. It doesn't work for me at all. Wow. And... I would not be buying my ticket then. I mean, I think it's closing in the next couple of weeks, so you're not, you're not missing much, but it just... Uh, I was going in with an open mind because it's not my sort of new music. I was thinking, okay, I feel like I should see this as a really important work for like music composition, especially British composition. And yeah, I really just hated it. Oh, I just, that's so sad. It, it's fine. I got it on the ENO under twenty five scheme, so Hello. Okay. Don't don't feel like don't feel like it was a wasted experience, but I was just let down by it. Now you know you're never gonna go see that one again. Now I'm never gonna see it again and doesn't really bother me. But on the plus side, I instead went to an exhibition at the National Museum of Wales, or Amgeatha Gynaleithol Cymru. All right. Yeah. Um, the which... Duolingo practice is going well then. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say to people that I speak one and a half languages because I can get by in Welsh, but not very well. That's awesome if you can get by yeah. in Welsh. Though. Like, I can understand it definitely better than I can speak here. Okay. So, but the exhibition at the museum was uh, Dippy, the Diplodocus that used to be in the foyer of the National uh, Naturalist Museum in London, who, and they're going on tour, so doing lots of museums, I think started in Glasgow, then went to Belfast, mm -hmm. and I actually got to write some music for the um, opening of Dippy, there's a time-lapse video of them constructing Dippy with some of my music in it, which I will link to on That's Twitter. awesome! Yeah! Oh my god! It's very exciting. Culture doesn't have to be through other people. Woo! Woo. Oh Yay. my god, dinosaurs and your own music. I know, it's like, my seven-year-old dream is just, just coming true. <laughs> to slash my 23-year-old dream. Yay! <laughs> I made you watch Walking with Dinosaurs in episode four, let's yeah, face oh it. What so, a show. Oh, it's a great show. I watched it recently, I was ill. Of it made me very did. happy. Of course you did. I watched all of it. It's great. It yeah. still holds up. Okay. What have you been up to? 
Um, oh, last week I went to see The Antipodes, which is a new play at the National Ooh, Theatre. Oh, interesting. Um, by a playwright called Annie Baker, and I saw her play maybe two years ago now, mm-hmm. called John, which was three and a half hours long. And it was so slow moving, and it's, oh. it was like, I went to see it and I just loved it. And I wasn't expecting to. Mm. And I just thought it was really clever and amazing and interesting. And, like, you're left alone with the set for ages. Yeah. Like, ages and ages, like you mm. would be if they really lived there. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, creepy and weird and, like, not realistic, but the way they speak is really realistic. Mm-hmm. And I've always remembered it. And, um, oh, there was this bit where there's a couple and they're just eating cereal on stage. They're having breakfast because they're in a B. Yeah. And the woman... The man is eating quite noisily, mm-hmm. and the woman just puts her... You know when you, like, lean on your hand? Yeah. But you also, at the same time, put your finger in your ear? Yes. So you can't hear? I've never heard a, like, laugh of recognition like it in the audience, as everyone was like, oh my god, I do that! Like, <laughs> I've never seen that on stage, someone doing that, and it's such a thing that everyone doesn't think they're the only person that does yeah, it. No. It was just like... So I love that. And then, when I see this one, um, because I like that so much, and this one is... Like, the the premise is very simple. It's, like, lots of people sitting around a table and they're all pitching ideas for something, but mm-hmm. you don't know what it is. So it could be, like, a TV show or a movie or, uh, I don't know, like, an advert or literally could be anything. But they're telling stories in order to get ideas. And it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. And some of the stories are so, like, disgusting and some of them are really weird. And there's a whole bit where they're all asleep and something very odd happens. I don't want to, like, give anything away. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I took my flatmate, and about five minutes before the end, we both just turned to each other and, like, mouthed, like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is happening? Exactly. That literally happened to me with the person that I went to see the Mask of Orpheus with. It was, uh, it was really annoying, because there was so much good stuff in there, and the, the, all the actors were amazing, and the set was really interesting, and I felt like I was constantly on the verge of maybe finding it really interesting, but I never quite crossed the line where mm. I was like, oh my god, this is, like... I don't need to get what you're talking about, but I felt like it was... Too clever for its own good, kind of that sort of thing? A little bit, yeah. I just didn't... I felt like it was... All this experiment had gone into it, and I think it was saying something about the telling of stories and, like, how we tell stories and whatever. It just... I don't know. I'm still really on edge about it. And then I read a five-star review for it, but I also read a two-star review for it, so I feel like it's not just me. I think a lot of people are going and being like... I don't understand. Literally, exactly how I felt about the Mask of Orpheus. It's like, set looks amazing. You're doing a great job. What the fuck is going on? Like, I really enjoyed most of this. Mm, I, I, just, the I, I didn't, didn't enjoy Orpheus. I just. I, I really enjoyed almost all of it. I just was left feeling really like cold. Yeah, and a bit lost at the end. But maybe mm. that was the point. I don't know. So yeah, that's what I went to see. Also, I forgot like last week, I was. You were like, what have you done? And I was like, nothing. But also, I did actually go see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child that week, and I forgot to talk about it. Small, you know, five-hour play. Yeah, it was sick. Keep the secrets, can't say any more, but the magic is amazing. I've read the play. Why? Because we got given it at Christmas one year, and we just read it. You were a fool. Yeah, but I also feel like you didn't get the full experience, because obviously, I think a lot of it is done through the visual. No, that's what I mean. That's why I think... My friend read it, and he said he was really underwhelmed when he went to see it. And I think that's because, at its core, the plot isn't that good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> is what I would say. But it's fine, but it's not like... Sometimes I felt like I was watching Harry Potter fan fiction, rather than, like, Harry, an actual canon Harry Potter. Yeah. When I pitch Harry Potter now, I'm not going to see that world and the world of the play as the same world. No. Exactly. 
But the magic and the special effects were so good because um, we had no idea what was going to happen. Mm. We were like, <gasps> wow, oh my God. Oh, and every time cool. something happened. So yeah, we'd recommend. We'd really, it was awesome, but. May go and see it. May not. Who knows? It's good. £20 tickets. Ooh. Yeah. Or a view. Not that bad though. That's not that bad. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Right, on to the show. The show. So this week we have an uh, inadvertent special, which is yeah. stand-up comedy specials and prestige films. Yeah. So, we're going to start off with my stand-up comedy special, and I asked you to watch quite a recent one, I think. I think both of ours are quite recent, actually. Mm. And This whole week, very recent uh, stuff. whole week. I think, I think your film is the oldest thing, and it's only from, like, 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Um, I wanted you to watch Catherine Ryan's Glitter Room. Glitter Room is a Netflix stand-up comedy special from Canadian comic Catherine Ryan. Uh, this is her second one for Netflix after In Trouble. It was released this year in 2019. Um, it mostly covers, I think, two broad areas, which is the relationship that she has with her daughter and masculinity. I think those, those are the two primary things that she covers in the special. I think it's very funny, and I do think that she has a lot of really, really great jokes and the pacing and is kept to the end and there's a lot of callbacks that come throughout and I I really enjoyed this one. I want to know what you thought about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Catherine Ryan's one of those interesting people who, when she first appeared on TV, mm. I thought she was incredibly witty and then when I went through a phase of being like, she's kind of boring and kind of mean, like she seemed like she was really mm. mean and actually... Now I think I've grown to like her again. Yeah. Um, and she's genuinely very witty as a person, I think. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought she had loads of like, fun stuff to say. Her relationship with her daughter is really interesting. Yeah. The whole section about Hamilton's awesome. I love Hamilton. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, she talks about going to see Hamilton and how one of the numbers in Hamilton is someone coming to Alexander Hamilton's door and... Hamilton essentially kind of say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this because her body looks so helpless, but her body's screaming hell yes. But yeah, she she deconstructs that lyric. She takes she takes issue with that, and that's a really good bit because it's not something that when I listened to Hamilton, something I initially picked up on because it wasn't. I think it was one of those that I listened to it and I didn't remember it. Yeah, because that I think happens when you listen to musicals. Just as as a kind of audio thing rather than seeing them. Also, I think that trope is so commonly used yeah. that you don't see it as weird. The mm-hmm. fact that he's like, oh, she looks yeah. helpless, but I know her body wants me. And exactly, it's like, yeah. mm, maybe she is helpless. But, and maybe her body does not want you. Her body is not trying to say anything to you. No. Or is simply keeping her alive. Yeah. And I think, I think the stuff where she talks about her daughter and especially kind of the bit with her builder, I think is really funny. So she talks about renovating her house and wants, her daughter wants to call her bedroom the Glitter Room, hence the title of the show. Mm-hmm. And she um, says about how the builder was like, no, second bedroom. And she's like, just say it, just say Glitter Room. He's like, fine, Glitter Room. And then we have the piano nook, no, say it's real name, Anna Kendrick Memorial Concert Hall. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bit with them like meeting Anna Kendrick that's really sweet. Yeah, yeah. And there are loads of really fun bits. Mm-hmm. I didn't like her, I don't really hate her bits on the Kardashians. Because mm, she's quite pro Kardashians. I just think the Kardashians are so shit. Yes. <laughs> to be honest, and I think the fact that she's like, 
I, I like her little shtick about how like fun it is to watch them and I guess it's kind of like me with Love Island but mm. I think the difference is for me like the Love Island people yeah they get a lot of stuff afterwards but essentially they're just like normal people yeah. like they're like beauticians and shit mm. the Kardashians are like privileged little shits who they don't are. understand how privileged yeah. they are and they're just spend their money like they had a handmaid's tale birthday party yeah. which just uh that 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 the amount of money they spend on their sh- oh everything about it i hate mm. it all anyway whatever and i and i i do get like she does bring that out and being like i don't i don't get why she's a bit about fame and sort of there's a great there's a great bit with like my friend my friend i can't remember the friend's name overdosed on fentanyl 16 times and she's still doing fentanyl and you're like Please get this woman a reality TV series right now. This is this is gold, <laughs> and I I like Catherine Ryan a lot because I think that she she doesn't sort of go into the thing that some comics go into where it is all about sex. It's kind of very like blue, very much like ah, I was doing this checking thing and then I shit myself. Ooh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm not so much a fan of that. I think um, I think I'm sorry, I like this more than her stuff before because. A lot of her time has been very celebrity focused before. Mm. And this is the first time we've seen her be like actually kind of personal yeah, in a way. Definitely. Although she does have a great bit on Destiny's Child. Oh no, I don't mean she doesn't have she no. has like the good celebrity stuff, yeah. but she also has like mm. a little bit of personal stuff which I suppose makes her less because she's so beautiful. And, 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 and she does have this quite it's... kind of hard exterior when she's on something like, like panel shows, because she does a lot of panel shows. Yeah. And I think that's how I got introduced to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I got introduced to her. And also, I mean, she kind of has to have that hard exterior because they're all men around her. Mm. So, like, she's kind of having to prove herself. And, yeah. You know. Which I think I think is is gradually changing on UK panel shows. Like, I think QI especially, now yeah, mandates the guests family. have to have a 50-50 split between men it, and women. Do they? And I think all BBC shows, panel shows, must have at least one female comic on them. Oh, yay! But, but I think <laughs> all of them are slowly kind of like, I think Bock the Week is now... You must have at least two or something because the most recent I'll episode of the week so. had Angela Barnes and Sindhu V on it. Who, if you have not listened to Sindhu V on um, Ed Gamble and James Acaster's podcast, she's so funny. Her I listened. I first listened to an episode of Off Menu this week. Ah, it was really good. Was it? The, was the Daisy most Cooper? Oh, yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Really fun. No, but I I like with Catherine Ryan is that she isn't afraid to sort of go with a slightly more edgy stance, but it's always coming from a personal perspective. Mm, I like the what she was talking about being a single mum. Mm. I think that's really interesting. I also listened to um, Jessie Ware's podcast with uh-huh. Cheryl Cole recently. Okay. Um, which was interesting because they were like, oh, you're so beautiful. Because it's Jessie Ware and her mum. They have dinner with celebrities, basically. It's, nice. It's the shtick. Um, and sh- they were like, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, you're fine. And like, you know, you're fine another man. Because yeah. she's always got this kid with Liam from One Direction. Yeah. And Cheryl was like, I found the love of my life. I don't need anyone else. And they were like, I don't know. As in her son. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was really interesting because I feel like that wouldn't be enough for someone. Mm. But Catherine Ryan made me think maybe. Don't necessarily think it's the kind of like, no, I don't need anyone. I've got this small human that I'm looking after. Oh God, yeah. And the day night, day wine, night wine. Day wine and night wine is great. It's, it's, so her daughter essentially calls white wine day wine and red wine night wine. And I'm like, yes. I also really like the impression she does of her daughter because her daughter has an mm. English accent. Yeah. And obviously she is from Canada. Canada. So she does, she's like, it's like having a butler around yeah. all the time. I like that idea. And it, and it just, it has a lot of, 
I think, heart to it as well, because it clearly shows sort of like, it's a very interesting, but obviously comedic take on the single mother-daughter relationship that you mm. sometimes get in kind of bleak, gritty dramas. Mm. And it's it's nice that clearly they have a lot of like fun, love, love for each other. And there's a lot of pathos that comes from the bits where she's talking about her daughter, especially when she's talking about her daughter's relationship with her her dad. And kind of like, that they're sort of lying to the daughter, being like, no, we just couldn't love each other enough, so we're not together. Just being like, I can't let her think that he's a piece of shit, and he can't let her think that I'm a piece of shit, so we have to mutually agree that we are not pieces of shit, we just can't be together. Yeah. And I, and I felt like that's, obviously, like, they're going to grow up and realise that they shouldn't have been together, but when you're seven... Yeah. When you're seven, you do stupid things and you think stupid things. You're seven. You're not meant to be, I don't know, a relationship scholar. And if you are, please, again, reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I I like with her that her delivery with the stuff from her daughter, it's never making fun of her daughter as a person, making fun of her daughter's actions and kind yeah, of how she's been raised. Yeah, and I think also, I see so many comedians who <sighs> use their children as material, which is totally fine because... Totally. Totally. Totally fine because children are very funny. Yeah. But sometimes, I don't know, I feel like it, you get a lot of comedy that's about like how shit it is to have children. Yeah. It's quite nice to see one, especially because you're getting like all this environmental stuff where, like maybe we shouldn't have yeah. children. Like, blah, 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 blah. And that seems like quite a stressful decision to make. So it's quite nice to just mm. hear someone be like, yeah, parenting's hard, but it's also sick. Like, yeah. my child is hilarious. And, and I think also... I like that wholesomeness. Yeah. And it's similar to... I don't know if you've seen Ali Wong's two specials. Yeah, I've seen... Um, I've Baby definitely Cobra. seen Baby Cobra, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, it's interesting. She does both, I think, it's Baby Cobra and... I can't remember mm, can't what remember the other one, but she's pregnant in both She's pregnant in both of them. And it's the great kind of thing of being like, it's great to have your kid, but also my body is ruined. Yeah, I like to see... It's very frank and very yeah, honest. And I, and I, I like really like that, but I would really appreciate the Catherine Ryan one of being like, yeah, but it's sick. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've been mm. getting a lot of, like, what the reality is of having children, which is really useful, but yeah. it's quite nice to just see someone be like, but also, worth it, like... Yeah, but I think also, like, that's kind of where the comparison falls down, is that Ali Wong has obviously got very young children, whereas Catherine Ryan's daughter is slightly older. Yeah. And I think it is... You genuinely don't get with a lot of comedians, kind of, my child is a baby or a toddler, my child is an annoying teenager and has just gone to university. Yeah. You don't generally get the kind of, like, they are towards Adorable the end of... phase. Yeah, towards Everyone the end says, right, like, seven to ten is, like, the dream mm. age, because... they're keen. They're sentient, but keen. Yeah. <laughs> they're sentient, but keen. Alice's parenting manual. Yay! <laughs> I mean, no, that is a dream. Yeah, true, yeah. You, you want something that you can, like, engage with, but also that you can say, let's go and do this thing that mummy wants to do. And they're like, yay! Which is great. Yeah, I mean, neither of us have kids, so no. we're probably not the best people <laughs> to ask about I don't think either of us are going to have kids anytime soon. No, oh my god, no. No, please no. But it's, it's, it's quite nice that you get that spin on it, and it does have that, that pathos to it that makes the sort of, the segments where she talks about like masculinity and sort of like men being very repressed, I think really interesting, and it's interesting that she talks about the men that she talks about are her daughter's father and a builder. Yeah. Gen those are the two main ones. And then that she manages to like chip away at the builder and that he was he was fine with it. And then there's a great like Mean Girls reference when she's still talking about the builder. And it and it shows that kind of a lot of the time that masculinity is, very, is a front. Mm. It's not who a person is. And sometimes there are just people who are just incredibly like masculine and that's who they are. But it doesn't feel kind of aggressive. But it's it's the... 
I am masculine because I cannot ever show any sort of like femininity because it's perceived yeah. as weakness. Yeah, yeah. And I think the stuff where she's talking about where she's remodeling her house and like the interactions with her and this contractor and then when she goes to see Hamilton after this, I think that is the most powerful bit of the show. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it ties in everything and it does it does a good thing of like looping back. And given the title of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm awesome. glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, much I did. Because I think Catherine Ryan's one of those comedians that some people really just don't like. Yeah, again, I've been through phases with her. Mm. She hosted some really weird things with Jimmy Carr, and I was like, hmm, maybe I don't like you. Oh, I've seen, I've seen ads for that. I've never actually seen it. I never really watched it. I just heard about it and thought it was yeah. horrible. No. It was like rating people or something. Oh, is it your face or mine? Yeah. Oh. It was like, are you hotter or am I hotter? Vote now, and you have to vote about your partner. Yeah. I think Cheryl Holt was on that. Was she? Yeah. Oh my god, awesome. Maybe I will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> for those, not Cheryl Cole, Cheryl Holt. The drag queen who is currently on Drag Race UK. For context, for our non-drag race watching listeners. <laughs> who are you? Um, exactly. Right. I think onto your TV. Onto my comedy special. Yeah. They're both on Netflix. Disgusting. I know. I mean, three of the four things this week are Netflix properties. That is gross. <laughs> Netflix taking over our lives. So this week, I asked you to watch one of my favourite comedy specials, James A. Caster, Repertoire. It's actually a TV miniseries, so there are four interwoven stand-up comedy specials, mm. and the end of the last one relates all the way back to the first one. At the same time, you can watch them as one us, and you don't have to watch them all together or anything. They're just interwoven jokes. It's James A. Castor on a stage, and it's on Netflix, and it came out recently. 2018, in fact. Last year. Um, I basically love this because... James A. Caster is someone I heard about a lot and then I didn't know if I'd like him and he's just got this amazingly random and like kooky and Very weird surreal. surreal sense of humour and there's something about his voice that when he says stuff it is just funny Yeah. and only recently this weekend as I mentioned before listened to his podcast which is called Off Menu which is with Ed Gamble which is again very very funny um, but repertoires him on stage with like a set routine mm. and yeah I just think it's hilarious it cheers me up a lot. What did you think? I thought it was very funny. Um, I I think a couple of reservations is that I, I've listened to more of Off Menu than you. I don't... James A. Caster likes a kind of tangent and then it's the attempt to loop it back and there are a couple for me in this that don't quite stick the landing and looping back. But I have a feeling of how you've said it is that they link to other things in the other three shows, maybe. That's the problem with... I don't know what you're talking about. I'm already outraged. No, 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 no. I thought it was really funny. And when I, when I say a couple of them, I feel like it was sort of like, hang on, wait, what? Oh, it's from this thing that's earlier in the show. And it that's does... why I love it. Yeah, but it took me... It was the it was mental brain power that I wasn't expecting to having to do with, with so this that... sort of show, yeah. So I don't think that's not sticking the landing. I just mm. think that is... I like that style of comedy. Yeah. As in, it makes you think a little bit harder and you're like, what? Mm. And then you get it. Finally. And I think, I think this is... This is sort of the first kind of stand-up that I've seen that's like this. Mm. I haven't, I don't think I've seen stand-up that's like this. Obviously there are like sitcoms and mm-hmm. I think mostly sketch shows that are like this. Yeah, and it vaguely reminds me sometimes of Noel Fielding. Mm. It really reminded me in places of Noel Fielding's High Flying Circus, which I wasn't a fan of because it it went, for me it went to... What's Noel Fielding's High Flying Circus? It's his sketch show that he did for Channel 4. I thought that was Noel Gallagher's High Flying Circus and that's his band. That's no, Noel, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. Did they deliberately do that? I think so. I love that. Okay, um, sorry. But it, it sort of, for me, when it just went too far, and it was also, it's an issue that I sometimes have with the Mighty Boosh. 
I've never seen the Mighty Boosh. No. Well, actually, I've seen one episode, but. Um, and I, but I do think this is this is really funny. I think the fact that he comes out in episode one kneeling, and you're like, what the fuck's he doing? Like, why is he doing this? And then it 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 all kind of makes it sort of explains that, and it's like, right, clock's done. I'm gonna stand up now. And then there is a whole bit about him being an undercover cop. You're like. The fuck? What? Because you you assume with the stand-up that it's going to be somewhat related to his own life. That's why I fucking love it because mm. it's nothing to do with his own life. Like yeah. you're just say, I was just saying that Catherine Ryan's good because it does it's personal. Actually, this is better because you're just like the shit. I just I like it because it's so tied to theatre. Mm. I suppose, and I love theatre, which is, is you walk in and you're like, I accept that nothing he's going to say is real, but yeah. I'm just going to agree to find it art, funny. Really? Yeah, it's not like it's clever in terms of it's not just taking weird yeah. stuff that takes happens to all of us and mm. making it funny which is obviously a talent in and of itself exactly yeah but it's something more which is like i have carefully crafted this very elaborate right. what seems mm. like a rant but is not a rant Into an elaborate this, backstory like, and like woven modern dance tapestry in a way yeah it really reminds me of this comedian which who like is not as well no nowhere near as well known but he's called christopher bliss he's actually called rob carter but he does a character called christopher bliss and he does like it's as if he he's like this loser who's a novelist and lives in his mum's shed. Um, but anyway, Karen talking about James A. Castle. I think he 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 is very funny, and there's just but he's also a comic that I think does a lot of repetition. And for me, when he says a lot of repetition in very quick succession, so he says the word banana about a million times in four minutes, and I was like, okay, so now the word banana has lost all meaning. And I that I think for some people gets slightly annoying. I didn't mind it, but I, for me, it was like, okay, right, said banana enough, come on. But I get that that's, again, it's the point, it's this kind of... that's funny. I think, I think it, it was a really funny bit, but it was just, it just, for me, I was like, oh God, this is gonna, is this, because it was the kneeling thing, it's like, why is he kneeling? And that went on for a second of time, and then he kept saying banana for a long time, I was like, what, what the shit is going on? I mean, the, the bit where he's talking about, like, I always wanted to be an undercover cop, and then I decided I wanted to do a podcast. And that's, for me, it was like thinking, oh, he's now going to talk about, like, his actual podcast. Because that was my first avenue into Shane Daycaster was off menu. But oh, someone recommended it to me, being like, you like food, you like podcasts, you do a podcast, here is a food podcast, enjoy. Mm. And I thought, and I mean, I really like off menu, and, and I do, I do somewhat prefer James Acast I think he's because he's very funny on the podcast when he's got a tiny bit more direction because he's very funny on things like panel shows mm. and, and like his compilation of scenes you'd like to see on Mop of the Week is really funny I haven't seen that like, also him on Bake Off is fucking oh amazing. it's hilarious there's one of his scenes that's just like unlike things to hear in a weather report it's like and there's a lot of high pressure coming down from the east and they're having a really great time stroking this horse <laughs> That only works not in only, only it does not work in an audio medium, but just go and watch it, it's great. But I I did really I found this really, really funny. And there's just there's just some things with like this bit about oven gloves, you're like, why the fuck is he talking about oven gloves? But it's hilarious and I kind of don't care. Um, I think the reason again, another reason that's so great that he's just making it up is that he has license to talk about whatever the yeah. fuck he wants that's funny. Instead of you feeling like tied. I think when some people root it in reality, mm. they desperately have a joke they want to get in yeah. there, and they have to force it in, and then you're like, oh, I can, like, mm. I feel like you've deliberately forced this in, but because everything is forced into there, you just accept it as, like, some crazy ride in yeah. someone's mind. And I, th I think, I think, I just, for me, with stand-up, I do prefer something that's a tiny bit more grounded, but also I did find this very funny, um, and I think that uh, there's one point where you hear a laugh, and I'm like, 
Ed Gamble's in the audience. Oh, really? Because it's, it's, it's that really like, like Ed Gamble cackle that he does. Nice. And it's like, yeah, Ed Gamble's in the audience. Amazing. Which I think is quite sweet in a way. That is sweet. Um, I just if think... you enjoyed it, I'd encourage you to watch the mm, other three. I... Just Like, as in, just when you have a time. Yeah. I think I think I would definitely want to sit down and watch them. I don't want to do them like while I'm cooking or something because I feel like I would miss something. You do something. have to pay attention, I yeah. think. And I think that that is my issue is that I I was watching it and then while well, other things were kind of going on around in my flat and I do think I did miss a couple of bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That then because it is like this very kind of carefully put together jigsaw and if you lose a bit of the jigsaw it kind of falls apart. But yeah. not, not so much that you then can't follow it, but just so you think, oh, hang on, where's this come from? Yeah, 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 You don't, everyone laughs and you're like, I don't understand. Uh, I'm lost. And, and then, then you realise that yeah. he referenced it like three minutes ago, but you You it. missed it. So, <laughs> but I, I, did, I did really enjoy this. I think I hadn't ever seen James A. Castle do stand-up before. Mm. So that was a nice thing. Because he, I mostly know him from like, again, like Catherine Ryan, from panel shows and from podcasts and stuff. Yeah. And so seeing him kind of doing what he's actually meant to be doing, like what he does is like his main job is really kind of refreshing. It made me want to buy tickets to a show, and then they were all sold out, so I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I I thought this was this was really really entertaining. Um, I think that it's it wouldn't be the sort of thing that if you said this is a really like surreal stand up set, I'd go and immediately watch it. But I'm glad that I have watched it because yeah, just I'm not. I, I do like surreal comedy, but it's not the one that I think yes, that's my kind of. Oh, main someone had told me what this was before. Hmm. I wouldn't have watched it. It's yeah. because everyone just recommended it to me without explaining what yeah, it was. And it was James A. Caster. So I think it's on for films. Woo, films. Alice has her popcorn. I have, I have my popcorn. I have my notebook. Yay. That says a lot about our characters. <laughs> it really does, actually, I feel like. <laughs> kind of it's, it's, that's a, a metaphor for this whole podcast, really, when you think about it. That's what we should really put on the trailer. <laughs> popcorn and notebooks. We're going to start with my film, which... Uh, very recently had a great award season just passed, and I asked you to watch Roma. Roma is a 2018 drama directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, it's set in 1970-1971 Mexico, and it's somewhat autobiographical based on Alfonso Cuaron's own life. It focuses on a maid, played by Lucia Fabrizio, and the family that she works for during a very turbulent time in Mexico's political history. Um, recent award season, Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director for this, this won the BAFTA for Best Film. Um, I There was also a lot of hullabaloo because it was released on Netflix, and people were like, oh no, you can't have a Netflix film here. Uh, and then it's, I think it's great. Um, and I want to know your thoughts on it. What did you think? So, I'd heard a lot about this before starting. Yeah. Um, in terms of, Oscar season, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know, BAFTA season, whatever you want to call it. Award season. Award season, thank you. Um, so I was excited to see it, and obviously I very briefly lived in Latin America for a bit, and I speak a bit of Spanish, mm -hmm. so that was also, I was also excited to see nice. it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I thought the cinematography was so beautiful. It's Especially the opening, film. actually. Yeah. I thought the opening was like really, really beautiful. Mm. Um, I thought the acting was really good. I found the story interesting. I found it interesting that it was quite a normal and everyday story, mm. yet seen from like a slightly different perspective, I yeah. suppose. So it made it more interesting. I found the black and white choice beautiful, but a little bit 
I just kept being like, why is it black and white? Mm. Do you think there was a reason? I don't know if there was a reason, but I have a feeling because it's, it's quite like a lot of sort of art films of that time. So I presume mm. it's like an artistic callback. But also I felt like the black and white actually, it really made a lot of those shots. It even looked like really old photographs, those really beautiful ones. Mm. Like the ones where they're all on the beach, I just mm -hmm, think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are stunning. I was just confused about what it's black and white. Yeah. Like, to the extent that it kind of bugged me because I was like, I felt like there must be some sort of hidden mm. meaning. Maybe that's just me reading too much into stuff all the yeah. time, but I like having a reason behind yeah. things. And it felt a little bit like, oh, this looks pretty. Mm. Equally, it did look pretty. Yeah. So fair play. Um, I got a little bit bored. Mm. I, I think I think that's fair. I was I was ready to go. This is a really dull film because I don't think it is a dull film. It's just it's quite it's, it's quite not slow. dull. It's slow. It's something I can picture reading a book about actually. Mm. Um, it's it's actually like I could imagine this being done on stage. It feels like a family saga, but told from like a slightly different perspective. Like, mm. yeah, I felt like I was watching a book. Yeah, if that makes sense, a really beautiful book. But that meant we didn't get to go inside her. Like she acts it beautifully, so you do mm. kind of get yeah. to go inside her head, but you don't really. No. I find that a little bit. But I find it really interesting that this is like you're saying, like she acted beautifully. This is Yulitsa Aparicio's first film. Yeah, that's mad. And I think she's obviously this is not a light role. She has to carry the whole thing. Yeah. And she so basically, it's the story of her and this family that's going through like a lot of like internal turmoil because the dad's had an affair. Yeah, the dad's basically ditched. The mom. And the mum and the children have been abandoned. And she. Oh shit. This, literally this film oh, is like all men, men are terrible <laughs> and she then falls in love with this bow staff fascist oh yeah 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 sorry i thought you meant the mum and no, i was no, like, no, no, Cleo. i miss so um, much so yeah, yeah oh my god falls in love with this guy who he does martial arts yeah that was one of the weirdest scenes i've ever so seen bizarre. and like it comes out of nowhere because up until then it's pretty realistic and i was like are we is some shit gonna happen here like yeah. i don't understand what's happening basically she sleeps with someone I don't think this is a spoiler, is it? No, it's in the first Also, there's a spoiler warning at the start of the show. Oh, yeah, Come that's on. true. Um, she sleeps with someone, and then... But you don't see them sleep together. Yeah. You just see them go, we're going to go for a walk. And then you see them in bed. Yeah. <laughs> and she's tucked up in bed, and he is fully, fully naked. naked. Like, you see, full peen. Oh, my God, full peen and bollocks and whatever. Yeah. With, um, like, staff? Yeah. What do you call it? A bow? Like a bow staff, yeah. What's a bow staff? I don't know. I think it's the name for it. It's okay. what I've heard someone call Doing it. Doing martial art. In his bedroom. With like really great aggression, not in a like, yeah. look how good I am, just in a like. Like he feels like really scary and it's from that moment because he's portrayed as like quite sweet and quite like nice that he cares about her until that moment and then it's the moment that he starts doing martial arts you're like, oh shit, watch out for him. Because yeah. she then gets pregnant, he leaves her. He's such a twat. He's such a twat. And she doesn't just leave her. He leaves her in the middle of the cinema as yeah. soon as she tells him and never turns up again and then when she sees him and tells him about the baby he's like he threatens her basically yeah. in a really really horrible way mm. in that i had to rewind because i was like what i don't understand why someone would be that horrible and it's and it and it it just you're kind of just there like feeling there's so much emotion in yulitsa aparitsa's performance that it's it's just phenomenal that this is her first film mm. and i i really hope that she gets more from this i and i think that she adds a lot of pathos to this film that otherwise could be if, i think it was told from the perspective of the mother mm. um who also does a really good job but i think if it was told from her perspective it would lose something because you're seeing it like through a periphery this whole point because mm. you have clear's kind of internal anguish of i'm pregnant 
I fell in love with this man who left me and is a ginormous twat. And I'm then also having to, like, work and look after this family who is going through their own emotional turmoil at the same time that Mexico is going through this massive political upheaval. Because mm. you see these kind of, like, fascist, almost training camps when she sees um, both staff the both-staff man again. And there's a lot of people there. And then it, the culmination of the third act is this riot, mm. essentially, mm. which is... It's done sort of, there's a lot of kind of glances. I think when we talked about Children of Men, Alphonse Cuaron likes to put things in the background. Yeah. It makes you sort of notice them. And he does that in this as well. Sort of like, little like... I forgot that was the same, it was the same yeah. place, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. It's like when they're at the holiday resort yeah. and there's like a bride. Oh yeah, I really like, that was actually one of my favourite scenes. I meant to mention that earlier. It's like the mum just told her kids that the dad's not going to come back. Mm. And you're just, and they're like one of them stop, and they're over dinner and they're at a special holiday and she's mm-hmm. taking them to the beach and then she tells them over dinner. And you're just like, this is so shit. Like, yeah. And the kids are like crying. And they're all there with their ice cream, just sitting, looking kind of depressed. And in the background, there's a wedding going on. And you just see the bride and groom having their photo taken over and celebrating. Mm. I thought that was really beautifully, like, the, yeah. dif- the difference between, like, the start of the relationship. Yeah. And I suppose, like, what ends up, what ends up happening. And it definitely has, has a lot of kind of, all of the arcs, I think, conclude very, very satisfi- satisfyingly. And with a lot of pathos, I think. And also, especially when, like, Clea goes into labour, suddenly the family realise that, yes, we are employing her to look after us, but we have to look after her now. I felt like, actually, that was... I felt like that was the theme throughout the whole movie. I thought that was really interesting, because Mm. um, I thought it was going to be a movie about how poorly they were treated... Same, that's what I thought. Indigenous people in Mexico were treated by, I guess, white people. Mm. I just assumed that was going to be, and... Even though she does do all the work, so it's not an okay relationship, like... It's still, there's still that power dynamic there. There's still a power dynamic, but equally, they love her, and mm. she seems to love them. It's a really interesting... It'll be more complex as a result, because yeah. you're like, I feel uncomfortable about this, but equally... I, I, I just want to know more, and I want to find out more from this... They all seem really happy in that mm. relationship. Like, the mum and Cleo seem... Not close, but, like, relatively close. Yeah. Obviously, the mum, like, sometimes gets really angry, and then she shouts at Cleo, which yeah. where you, and then you get a sense of the... Of where this could be. And there, there's definitely undercurrents of... You see at the scene where they kind of go to this sort of big, like, gathering, and you see a couple of the other families' relationships with their Indigenous maids, which are much more adversarial to Cleo. Yeah. And that, I think, is a, is a really powerful moment, because you think that it's... It has this level of that they realise what she means to them, especially what she means to the kids. Mm. But I think I think with that you get a similar reaction to how much and it, the scene on the beach in Roma. It's that scene. Is it's the realisation of we need you. We we don't deserve you, but we need you. And it and that and where they've kind of got that shot of them all sort of crying around. It's very like it's. I think it's on the poster of. Of the film. Oh, the beach, yeah. The beach, yeah. yeah. The beach. And it's, it's clearly like there's a lot of classical art reference in this because it's an Alphonse Cuaron film. Of course there are. Um, I love Alphonse Cuaron. <laughs> but I I think that it definitely adds to it and it, it adds this layer of pathos to what could otherwise be a really like heart-wrenchingly awful story. Yeah, it's, it was so much less awful. I kept thinking something shit was going to happen. Same, like, the I whole watched, way through. Maybe it was a black and white thing as well. Mm. Every time she was on her own, I was like, she's going to fall off that bridge. Yeah. She's going to die. She's gonna. I kept thinking yeah. she was going to die. And then it was completely fine. Mm. And she just had a really lovely relationship. Like, not, 
again, there are layers of complexity, yes. but it's, fundamentally a very lovely relationship with the family, and I just found that really yeah. confusing. I was like, and the whole the whole sequence of her and Labour is just heart wrenching. Yeah. How come they did? I found that odd though that they did the baby thing in front of her. Mm. Do they do that? Well, what what the? She gives birth to a oh yeah yeah stillborn yeah. baby, but then they like they give it to her, which is fine. And they like do CPR in front of her, which I guess again you wouldn't have time to go anywhere else. No. And it's when they like give her back to me, you need to wrap it up, and they just leave her there, and then she mm. just watches her baby well, being wrapped well, up. I suppose it's kind of like really it's, it's sort of like it's in recovery in a way. Is that they can't necessarily move her. again? I don't know how this whole thing I know. Works. I just found it odd that they would be like, "Let's take the baby corpse and just put it next to the mother." Well, we yeah. I found that. But I, what, one thing I do like is that that, that whole sequence it doesn't focus on the doctor. It's just a, it's just yeah. a shot of Cleo. Yeah. And it's and it's that kind of thing. It's this thing that has ruined my relationship with this man that I fell in love with. It's this thing that could potentially have jeopardised my job. Yeah. And. In the end, I like, think that's the best bit yeah. is when she breaks down on the beach and she's like, I didn't want her. Mm. And then you're like, the problem was because before that, you think she's upset because she's lost a baby, yeah. which in itself is sad enough. Yeah. But then you realise it's because she feels like she almost asked for it to be stillborn because exactly, she's yeah. all this time was thinking she didn't want it. And, and it's and it's that she didn't deserve to have that agency in a way. Yeah. And it, and it, that's that kind of that whole ending makes up for the sort of quite sort of meditative first two acts because yeah. it, it just brings everything into Together. this one one sort of line yeah and i just think it's beautiful this film yeah it's beautiful yeah i i encourage people to watch it but i also would get if someone watched it and said that was really dull it was just a long film i had long, to watch yeah. it in two bouts because i just got bored like as in, I tried to watch it really carefully because obviously it's in a foreign language, yeah. so I can't. I'm not you can't Spanish like, just no. to like know what they're saying all the time. And also, I felt like it was an important film and I should give it my due attention. Mm. But I really, really tried to focus. And about halfway through, I was like, oh. I think if I'd watched it in a, oddly, even though it's a Netflix film, if this was in the cinema, I, I would really have watched it straight cinema, through yeah. and it would have been amazing. Yeah. But because I think it's a because it's on mm. Netflix, it encourages you to be like. Oh fuck myself! Like fuck yeah, exactly. I'm gonna go and make tea. Because or... I think I think it's a similar reaction that I had when I watched Moonlight. Is I was so glad I saw it in the cinema, and I mm. kind of wish I'd seen Roma in the cinema, because it, yeah. I think it would have had that kind of power that it does have. Because you're on a screen and you are confronted with this, and you're not going anywhere because you are in that seat for two hours. Yeah. And it was like with Moonlight. It was I was confronted with these visuals and this story that was just so powerful. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I'm sad that it didn't get like a proper cinematic release. It did get a little bit of release so it was eligible for awards but I just if I wish it just as in I appreciate Netflix but hmm. I wish Netflix had been like yeah obviously we're releasing it on Netflix but also we're going to do going to release it in cinemas I think Amazon do that generally with their films yeah and I, I wish Netflix had the confidence in their own films to do that because mm. I still think that people will go to the cinema and see it even if they have Netflix because I, I definitely or after would. it won all the awards they should have done to be like and we're releasing it in cinemas to like mark that yeah because I understand not taking a punt on like a foreign language film mm. but it's at the same time, it, it got a lot of critical acclaim, won a lot of awards. Yeah. It's definitely... It would um, be better in the cinema. And I think very warranted in comparison to what actually won Best Picture that year. Well, I haven't seen that yet, so... I'm not going to make you watch it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Up to you. Yeah. But speaking of awards films... On to my film, one of my favourite films in the world. Yes. Um, this week, I asked you to watch The Big Short. 
Food Sort is a 2015 American biographical comedy drama film. Oh my god, so many genres yet again. So many genres. Um, directed by Adam McKay and also written by him and someone called Charles Randolph. It's based on a 2010 book by Michael Lewis, which is about the financial crisis, which we've all hopefully remember. Yes. Unless we're very young. Um, of 2007 to 2008, which was triggered by the United States housing bubble. It stars Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, Melissa Leo, Hamish Linklater, John McGuire, Rafe Spall, Jeremy Strong, Finn Wittrock, and Marissa Tomei. Ooh. Ooh, so many men. Yes. But it was a man's world. I mean, it is a man's world. Um, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. What do you think? I think this is a really great film. Um, I, I really liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Mostly because I feel like it's let down slightly by the first third. I think the first third, because it has to explain a lot, it's like, okay, I there's I, I would actually really recommend, if you're going to watch this, watch the first half with subtitles. Because I got very... Really? I restarted it and watched it with subtitles because I was like, there are so many terms flying at me all the time, uh, I want a visual cue on them. Oh, I see. So I think if, if you're like me and sometimes helps to have them on, maybe watch them with subtitles. It might help. But I think it's... It's really, it's really well done. It also, similarly to the Riot Club, I think this is a much better film than the Riot Club. Obviously, <laughs> um, it made me very, very angry. I was like, these people should be. Fucking I know, th jail. but I said this last week. I was like, it's gonna make you so angry. It's so angry in such a good way. Um, though. And then there were also some like really weird bits of like explaining some random financial bits. So Margot Robbie in a bath is the iconic one. Oh my god! Which is the best of? There are three of them. There's Margot Robbie in a bath. There's Anthony Bourdain in a uh, kitchen, which I was like, this doesn't work. Well, I don't think it was... That one was very kind of quick. And also there was a lot more going on in that scene. That yeah, didn't add. yeah, yeah. And then there was... There's Selena Gomez and Insert Economist here. Uh, oh, do you want me to give you? Please do. Uh, a, a roulette table. But that one worked better because the crowd made sense into what they were talking about. Selena Gomez and Richard Thaler. Thank you. Um, and I think that there's there's a lot of great things in here. I think um, this one best adapted screenplay mm -hmm. at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. I think it's very warranted the script is the star of the show um it's a very good script it's it does it in a way that it doesn't speak down to the audience but does say look i'm gonna throw a bunch of jargon at you have fun this is an intellectual film that still manages to make it entertaining it's like yeah. they're talking about subprime mortgages or something and yeah to be honest they throw this around in lots of like economic and mm -hmm. political dramas or yeah. stuff like that and you just have no idea and i liked that they just went this is what this they is. kept. They kept talking yeah. about them, and you get more and more confused. Mm -hmm. And then the script just goes, "You probably don't know what we're talking about, do you?" Here you go. Well, here's Margot yeah. Robbie in a bath, and Margot Robbie's just in this bath, being like, "So surprise!" It's like when this happens, and it's just like, "What the hell's what? going on?" But, but also, also it's what great. a way to cater to your audience, and that mm -hmm. is, I love. It really reminds me of Edgar Wright's screenplays, you know, like it Hot really Fuzz, does, yeah. Blender, which I love that style of yeah. filmmaking. Way, I guess, because I get bored quite easily. It's not like, super easily, but it's like, snap, here's this thing, snap, here's this thing. It's yeah. very, like, cut, it's lots of cut and yeah. loads of meta-references. I it's, fucking it's, love meta-references. And I think, I think that style works. I think Margot Robbie in the Bath is the point where, for me, the film definitely picks up. Yeah. Because the first third, I would say, I did find it a little bit like, okay, what the living shit is going on? But I think you're also meant to think I that. I think you're supposed to think that because it's such mm. a crazy world. But then for me, the style, I was like, what the style for me at that point didn't match up to what they were trying to do because I think also because slightly I didn't understand what I was going on, but also I did think that after I turned the subtitles on. But after Margot Robbie in a bath, this film was great. <laughs> um, 
it's interesting, Christian Bale got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. I wouldn't have chosen him out of all the performances for that nomination. I think, so basically it's three loosely connected yeah. stories, very loosely connected. Okay, Steve Carell's. Steve Carell's, uh, is it, would you say it's his? I'd say, I'd say you've got Steve Carell's sort of storyline, you have Christian Bale's storyline. So Christian Bale is someone called, who plays a hedge fund manager who's mm. very eccentric called Michael Burry. Yeah. Who, ex- who discovers that the housing market is really unstable and he basically bets that it will... It will crash. It will crash, which is insane. And everyone thinks he's mental and then obviously mm. he makes insane amounts of money. Yeah. At the very end. And then you have the four Front Point Partners and Jared Bennett, which is Ryan Gosling's character, yes. who's a salesman. Who essentially is... Um, it's and Steve Carell's yeah. character. Like, it's that squad, yeah, basically. Ryan, Ryan Gosling in the film is essentially financial Deadpool, I think is the best way to describe <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He basically realises what's happening and because of because of Christian Bale and tries to like do the system and then get Steve Carell on board and they the whole yeah. team their whole team like do a whole thing and then there's also young investors Charlie Geller and Jamie Shipley mm-hmm. doesn't say who they're played by but I do remember them yeah um who enlist the help of Brad Pitt yeah <laughs> and they invest start investing in swaps which are specific again I can't really remember can't what any of the jargon means but when you're watching the film you'll understand yeah you're like you okay, understand the this. gist of it yeah. You're like, essentially, this is all bad and these people are going to make a lot of money when everything else goes to shit. But the, yeah, the really interesting thing is that it's the, it's people who, a lot of whom seem to have believed in the system up yeah. until now, they then bet against the system and because they're so involved in the rules of the system, they're really overexcited. So mm. there's a bit where the young investors are like, oh my god, amazing! And then Brian Brad Pitt is talking to them, he's like this older guy, and he's like, why are you happy? And they're like, we're going to make like 80 million. And he's like, you've just bet against... The like, US economy. The US economy. Do you know how many jobs they're going to lose? Do you know how much money people are going to mm. lose? Do you know what's going to happen because of yeah. this? It's really interesting that people could get so caught up in that mm. world that they don't even realise they're betting against the economy yeah. and that is a bad thing. Like, that's a terrible, terrible, mm. terrible and situation. Then, but then also, I think this film does a really good thing is it shows it very briefly the human consequence of the financial crash. Yeah. When Race Ball and... Uh, another of Steve Corral's kind of group yeah. from one of the banks goes to Florida and sees all these essentially empty houses. Yeah. And then they find one person who has been paying their rent and stuff, but it turns out that their landlord has not been paying their mortgage back. So then they're in trouble. And it's like that's where kind of the heart of the film is. And it's and it's good. And when they go, oh my god, when they go to the strip club. Yeah. And they meet this stripper, and she's like, "Yeah, I own like three properties." Yeah. And you're like, "You own three, three houses." How? It's like, I imagine, because we were quite young when this happened. Mm, we I were in... We were like, eight, year seven. Year seven, year eight, and we just started secondary school. Yeah, so I don't really remember adult life without the consequences of this crash. Exactly, like, yeah. We don't really, well, we don't really remember life, in fact, without this crash, particularly. Because yeah. this crash affected so much. I mean, for example, for us, like, this crash affected the fact that university fees went up by six grand a year. Yeah. Like, that was... Well, the whole concept of austerity, I don't remember yeah. not hearing about that. Like, no. I, I remember starting to hear about it when we started secondary school yeah so i was never economically aware without austerity being a word that was tossed around by people i just think it's so for us it's like this is an established Mm. fact but i feel like if you watch this and you're slightly older you would watch it and be like how did we not realize what was going to happen because something was majorly wrong because it shows you how obvious it was and it shows you the extent to which Mm -hmm. people were literally oh my god schmidt from new girls in this Yes. In like the most amazing cameo, but he's just this twat yeah. of a banker who doesn't he, get what he's that what he's doing is 
immoral and illegal. Yeah, basically. and then you see him at the end, like post crash at like a jobs fair, and you're like, no, you should be in jail. Yeah, because the thing is that like it was real at the end that one person got prosecuted and went to jail for essentially tanking the world economy. Yeah, and it was just someone that just they allowed to take the fall for it. Yeah. From a bank that wasn't even one of the major banks that caused it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just think, what shit so they could use money and influence? It's similar to clubs, like you use money and influence to get out of your problems because yeah. you can do that. And That's why I think this is such... I think mm. it's doing... It's a similar kind of thing to what the Wolf of Wall Street was doing, but in mm. so much of a better way. Yeah, because I think the Wolf of Wall Street is very kind of celebratory towards that kind of thing. Yeah, you want to be part of it. Is, it's Which I know is how people felt, but like also it's kind of gross. Yeah, you watch it and you just think, I don't know. You don't, you don't. In the Wolf Wall Street, you feel bad for him as a character, but not angry at the system that created that character. Yeah. You whereas in this, you feel bad for the characters and angry at the system that created them. I think that yeah, I think they just get the anger on point. I also watched yeah. Vice earlier this year, which is uh, uh, yes. Anna McKay's other film, which is about Dick Cheney. Yeah, which is also really good. Okay. Like, I think. Is Christian ba- maybe Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney? Actually. Yeah, Christian Bale's Dick yeah, Cheney. Yeah, he is. Okay, and I, he does the same kind of thing in that it's about politics and it's deliberately to make you angry. But they mm. show you, they have all these scenes. Like, there's one scene in which it's like we don't know what happened in this scene, so we've imagined it as a Shakespearean drama, and it's him and his wife Amy Adams, and they like speak as if they're late Lord and Lady Macbeth. Uh, okay. And even though you like, you know, that's not actually what happened. But it makes total sense yeah. that that's what would happen. I think I like. It's the same as James A. Caster. It's mm-hmm. being like, film, we are not trying to be realistic exactly, here. Yeah. Like, our aim is not to be realistic. Our aim is it to, is to let present you know what to you yeah. what, like, make you feel something mm-hmm. which we think is yeah. right. I don't and know. I think, I think for me, there is a problem that I'm just, I'm not the biggest Christian Bale fan as an actor. I'm a bit honestly fed up with him. Whoa. Just because I, I feel like, yes, he was Batman. He was very good as Batman. But mm-hmm. also, I think he's done a lot of films that I just think, you're good, but you're getting plaudits for things that aren't a result of you. And I think that's, for me, my issue with him getting the nomination for this film, is I think it's much more the script and the direction rather than him. But he did, they did get nominated oh, for script and direction. They, yeah, they get nominated for direction, film. which I think is accurate. But for me, I think the one who gives the best performance in this is Steve Carell. Yeah, I was going to say Steve Carell's awesome I think Steve, Steve Carell is wonderful in this. And, because obviously everyone knows Steve Carell most probably is from the American office. Oh, that's yeah. what... No, the way, the way I knew him first was in Bruce Almighty. Yeah, that too. Steve Carell in this, it's a scene at the end where he's just sort of saying, like, this is what's going to happen. This is what we have done. Even though we've bet against this system, this is what has happened. Yeah. Is that, like, the world economy is broken and you see the two younger kind of investors go into... I think the Lehman Brothers, or is it Goldman Sachs? It's one of the banks that failed. Oh, yeah. And they go into, the, like, their derelict offices. Yeah. And there's just, like, a kind of tower of Pepsi cans just there. And you just think, what was this world before this crash? And in a way, nothing's really changed. No. Is that it's still kind of that kind of aspect to it that, yeah, no, this is the right way to do it. This is what we should be doing. Well, at the end, they're like... And they're doing it again. Yeah, they basically give you... They're like, and this thing is being sought... Their new product has been brought out Yeah. on the market. Mm. It's this thing, which is basically exactly what they've been talking about subprime mortgages, but yeah. with a different name. It's, it's like um, with MLMs, or multi-level marketing companies, that are just pyramid schemes with a 
gloss of paint on them. Yeah, exactly. And it and it really made me angry that that's kind of the world that we live in, and that's still that these people are getting away with it again. Yeah. And it's why, and that you can relate so much of what's happened in the past ten years back to that financial crash. It's also amazing, like when Christian Bale's character the whole movie is basically him betting on it at the start mm. and then just his investors being like what are you doing why are you yeah. investing all of our money and stuff and him trying to convince them to stay in and him just being eccentric basically yeah and then at the end when it all comes in and he's writing up how much money he's made it's obscene Scene. it's like he keeps writing numbers and you're like he makes he's, yeah because he, he goes from like kind of sort of percentage wise like negative 10% negative 15% negative 20% and then it ends with like something like negative 810% or something it's something like like positive 810% so he's made his funds value increased by 489% yeah with an overall profit of 2.69 billion dollars mental when he writes that up you're like what how are you playing with this much money that's insane and, and it's like the sort of month just doesn't seem real and then there are people who are like essentially gambling on it that we have no knowledge of but then will just fuck us over regardless because if that happens again yeah there's another global financial crash again we're gonna feel it more than we did obviously when we were children yeah because we are now like taxpayers yeah we have a stake in this now we have jobs and it it could royally fuck us all over again and that's the sort of the warning I think of watching this film now. No, we're all slightly terrifying, but it will be fine. Well, we hope so, yeah. Yeah, but I, th- I think I did. I did enjoy the film. I do think it is slightly for me let down by the first third. Okay, I, just, well, I strongly disagree, but fair no, no, I know. I, I, I think, I think I highly, I recommend this film to anyone watching it. Like anyone who thinks should I watch this, like yes, um, watch it with subtitles. <laughs> I watch it in the cinema. I just don't think. I don't know if as might, in, might I get be, you, but it might just be the um, the acoustics in my far, living room. I would agree that it's very fast paced, yeah. and it like I think I just was so enchanted with the way it was filmed mm. and like the acting that I just was like, I'm sure I felt like I was in safe hands immediately. Yes, so I even agree. when I didn't understand things, I was like, well, I'm sure this will be explained to me at some point. Mm. Like they can't possibly go. I really liked, so I guess that's why I didn't find the first third. Stressful. Mm. I didn't find it so stressful. I I also just found it in comparison to, especially to the latter two thirds of the film, yeah, tiny bit slow. Oh yeah, fair enough. Um, because I think they did just have to explain a lot, and that is obviously what happens when you have a film like that. But I I did think it was very good, and I really enjoyed it. I would I would say to everyone, go and watch this film. It's, yes, it's very good. So I think we should go on to scores on the doors. Yay! Woo! So what did you give? Catherine Ryan's Glitter Room. Um, I gave this an 8. I could go 0.5 lower. Mm. I'm going to go 0.5 lower. Okay. But I did really enjoy it. It's just I remember watching it and being like, that was really enjoyable, but I don't feel mm. like I saw something that I yeah. would then re-watch because I thought it was that funny. I thought it was clever yeah. a lot of the time rather than like laugh out loud funny. No, fair enough. I mean, I, I gave it an 8. I think that... That sort of reflects my feelings on it. I enjoyed it a lot and I did think it was quite funny. Yeah. But, I yeah, I see where you're coming from with that score. Um, what did you give James a Casta Repertoire? I gave it an 8 as well. Yeah. Because I, I think I, I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Catherine Ryan. Yeah. Um, they're obviously very different styles of comedy, but I enjoyed them both equally. 
I give it nine because I prefer this style of comedy. Yeah. I think I just really like the surrealness of it. Fair enough. To make me laugh. It's like my favourite card in the Cards Against Humanity. It's the one that's like, a lovely cup of tea. <laughs> Not geese. Ge- oh, I love geese. Also, like, a lovely hat. Or a very cool hat. Yeah. I just think that's funnier than any of the, like, really weird ones. Oh, yeah, there are some. Uh, <laughs> the paddling pool one is just... Uh. Anyway, Roma. I gave Roma 10. I just think I knew you'd give it 10. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I think this film's great. Yeah. Um, I gave it 8.5 because I think it's beautiful and wonderful and I don't doubt that it should have won all the awards yes. it won, but I just wish if i'd seen it in cinema it could have been higher yeah but as someone who watched it on netflix which is when it where it was released oh, exactly, so i don't feel yeah. bad about rating that um i just got slightly bored i was like yeah okay no Good on it. did he do gravity yes he did do gravity oh, little shit Fair we enough. know your feelings on gravity he's redeemed himself it's fine because you like children and this so did he do um a harry potter yes he did prison of azkaban oh that is so the, best did the best one, one. To be fair. yeah okay yeah. fine no. Um, um, and then the big short, I've given it a ten. Short, you might. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gave it eight point five. Yeah. Nice. I think. I think. Yeah. We we talked about just for me, slight issues with feeling a bit lost at the opening and just feeling like the opening third up yeah. until Margot Robbie in the bath. Yeah, it's I like, think that's fair. I think Margot Robbie in the bath is the moment where you're like. Yes. And now I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So awesome. if we go to the leaderboard for this week woo leaderboard are we excited because i have a feeling that there's going to be some shake-ups i'm excited are we are we pumped are we ready i'm pumped i'm ready woo so tv there has been no change (laughs) but we have a first placed three-way tie for films between raids of the lost ark the big short and roma (gasps) all with 18.5 really oh my god that's crazy all three of them tied for our number one spot for films so it, it, that is technically our top three, but if we then say that's Space One, followed by Ladybird, followed by Children of Men. Oh, Ladybird's so good! It is yeah. very good, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. But it's, it's interesting, for all three of the ones at number one, one of us gave it 10, the other gave it 8.5. Yeah. That's you... kind of spooky. I think, no, I think that's fair, because I think that is something... If you love a film, obviously you're going to give it 10, yeah. and whoever we recommend it to is like... That's pressure for me to think it's great. Yeah, but also, you probably do think it's great, but yeah. at the same time, you might have had it bigged up too much, and you're like, mm. it's not as good. But do you know there, what I mean? there are things that we, we both, also have different yeah. tastes. And then there's things that we both give a 10 that we're like, yes, that warrants also getting a 10 or a 9.5 or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the bottom of the board hasn't changed, because I think it was an all round pretty positive week. Pretty, pr- very positive week, Which I would I'm say. Very, very happy with. Hi. Right, so next week. Next week. Um, seeing as I, you know, gave you something that wasn't in English this week, I'm going to do that again Yay. for my TV. I um, combined a something else that you like, a police drama. Love a police drama. Uh, so I would like you to watch episode one of The Bridge. My dad loves this show. The Bridge is it's Scandinavian joint co-production of from Denmark and Sweden, uh, and essentially the opening premise is that a body is found exactly on the border between Denmark and Sweden. Oh, okay. And on the bridge that connects Copenhagen to Malmö. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say. I think it's really great. That's all I'm going to say. Right, um, I've got something different. It's called The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I've heard so much about this. It's awesome. The episodes are a little bit long for my Mm. liking, I'm just going to say already. But it has David Schwimmer in it as, um, what's his name? Rob Kardashian. Kardashian. Hilarious. So good. Inspired what? casting. Um, it's got Cuba Gooding Jr. in it as well, isn't it? Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it as well. It's about the trial of O.J. Simpson. I knew very little about this except, like, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. Um, 
It's fascinating. I just think it's really good and it's a drama, it's a proper drama. Yeah. I watched alongside it a documentary about OJ Simpson, yes. which I would also recommend. They both came out at the same mm. time, I think, on Netflix. Yeah, because there was, there was, I think it was a couple of years ago, it was like, and here are eight million things about OJ Simpson. Yeah, I don't know if it was like an anniversary or something, but anyway, The People yeah. vs. OJ Simpson is really cool and well filmed and okay. just awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Um, and then for seeing as I've you've given me two films that made me angry about the situation yeah. in the world, I thought I'd give you a film that will make you angry about the situation in the world. Oh, I would like you to watch The Great Hack. It's a okay. documentary about Cambridge Analytica. Oh god, okay. Yeah, so essentially the media company that fucked us all. Hooray. That's the best way to put it. Okay, fine. Um, I'm going to give you a very light thing. It's called A Simple Favour. Uh, when I saw the trailer, I thought it was like Gone Girl, but starring Blake Lively, Henry Golding, and Anna Kendrick. What? And then I realised it was kind of a comedy, but it wasn't a comedy. It's so confusing, I don't know what the genre is, I, but it's hilarious. I've, I've had this film described as the epitome of a hot mess. Yeah, but like in the, the best way. Okay. It's got Anna Kendrick in it. Anna Kendrick. And you feel like the whole time she knows she's in a hot mess, but she's just going with it anyway. Okay. I don't, I just, I just think it's really fun. I watched it on like a really like rogue day in the, yeah. in the summer holidays of being like, what am I watching? Why am I watching this? But it's funny. Okay, I'm, I'm interested. Anyway! Thanks so much for listening this week. Thanks. You can find us on all sorts of socials, but most importantly, please like, rate and subscribe. Woo! Yes. Yes. We need the likes. Please do. Please adore us. Yes. You can find us on Instagram at please don't make me watch. You can find us on Twitter at don't make me watch. You can email us at please don't make me watch at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes. Spotify, Google Play, Podbean. And all other purveyors of good podcasts. Hurrah. A friend of mine actually showed me like a non-affiliated podcast app. We were on there. Ah. Yeah. Hype. Woo. So, hope you have a great fortnight and we will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.